Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we will study God's Word. I'm Scott Kirksey. I'm one of your pastors on staff. I'm super stoked to be able to share with you today just about God as our living hope. I want to tell you a story, I will just share with you about Damascus steel. How many have ever heard of Damascus steel? All right, we've got a few. Well, it was actually interesting. Um, Summer, back at work this week, this last week, she was in my office and I said, have you heard of Damascus Steel? And she said, who's that? (laughs) Well, it's not a person, although it would be a really cool name. Uh, But okay, so Damascus Steel, uh, these swords were produced in the region of Syria around 500 AD to about the 1800s. This metal, uh, after the 1800s, this technology was lost. But this Damascus steel, what made it so special is that it it would hold an edge better than any other metal of the time. It was a stronger metal than any other metal at the time. And if you can see in this picture, you actually see what looks like engraving on the blade. That is an engraving that actually comes, it's naturally in the material. And it comes from the way that they make it. This metal is uh, put in a furnace or a crucible in extreme heat. It is then pulled out and it is flattened, hammered, flattened, and then folded and layered and then heated and then hammered and flattened and then folded and then heated time and time again through this process of struggle, this this metal, this material is made. Now, one of the things that was interesting, too, this technology that was lost around the 1800s, there's these theories to where it went. And this theory is to be like, well, maybe there was nobody to pass it on to, the technology. Maybe there was nobody who, uh, at the time, maybe they couldn't get the materials. Maybe, uh, Maybe they weren't available anymore. But what they've gone and back to find out is they've gone back to look at it and say, well, how, how is this made? How is it possible that this material was made so strong, so sharp? Then how can we even replicate that? And they've gone back and they've looked at it. And what they've noticed is that through the layering process, there's actually in this microstructure of it, there's, that metal became stronger. It's almost as if the particles were woven together in the process of making it. The same lines that you see on the blade actually tell of its experiences in the fire. They're the same lines that give it its strength. Now we're in a series called Finding Our Way. And today we are pointing to God as our living hope. If the songs didn't already give it away, we're looking at God as our living hope because God is the God who rescues. He rescues us, but it also gives us hope in the waiting So many of us, we have this story of God coming through in our lives. Many of you have a testimony where you speak of, there was this moment in my life, this moment where I felt saved by the Lord. And yet if I ask you those stories, like who is that? Who who of you, you know, has this testimony of being saved by the Lord? Let's do it. Raise your hands if you've been saved by the Lord. Right? Most of you in the room. But if I asked you, I said, is there something that you're praying about that you would like God saving you from? Raise your hand. 
Now, how is it concurrent that both things can exist at the same time? That I live in a way where I am saved by the Lord, and yet I'm still in this process of asking him to be saved, to save me. Lord, would you rescue me from this? Lord, would you rescue me from these things that I'm going through, from my struggle, from my challenges? Well, today, as we uh, travel through Psalm 119, this verses that we're going to go through today, 81 through 96, we're going to hear from the psalmist. And as we do, I want you to keep in mind these three things that we're looking for in this series. How do we grow in gratitude? How do we grow in awe? And how do we grow in dependence? If you didn't grab a card on the way in, you could raise your hand. We will get one to you. I got a couple people on task to to pass them out. All right. If you're at home and you're following along, you could look up Psalm 119, 81 through 96. We're going to read through this passage, and then we're going to read it again. If you were with us last week, Tina's message where she showed how her method of Bible study, of coming back and circling the words that are repeated. You can do that through this. And there's one thing I want you to to look for. In the gratitude, awe, and dependence, which one of those stands out the most to you? What is the emotion of the psalmist as he writes? What do you see? So we're going to take five minutes for each of you to go through that card, highlight, circle, underline, things that pop out to you. And then we're going to respond, take some time to respond to that.
All right. Who is the psalmist talking to? To God? What emotions do you hear in what he's expressing? Exhaustion? I heard somebody here. Despair? Persecution? That there is hope? Long-suffering? Dependence. There's another here. Did you say lament? Lament. Yep. Your wisdom. That's cool. What was that? Unfailing love. Timing? That's good. What did I hear over here? Trust. God's faithfulness. Awesomeness? Yeah. No, that's good. What else is standing out to you? What verse, if you could highlight one out of there, which one spoke to you? Ninety-six. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Eighty-six. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for I am being persecuted without cause. Eighty-nine and ninety. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth, and it endures. 93. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. And 94. Save me, for I'm yours. I have sought out your precepts. 82. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say... When will you comfort me? And I heard one here. Okay, last one. It will go 84. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? Thank you. Thank you for uh, for your replies. I love how this points back to the two things going on. He points to the one, this idea that, Lord, you have saved me, that I have story. That somewhere in my history, I, I can speak of the time where I held on to your words and it brought me through. And yet, if you break down these two sections, both sides of your card, the first one sounds almost like the psalmist had a really bad day and then went home and journaled this song. I, today was really rough. And you have those days, right? Like, we come, we come home, it's like, how was your day? You know, uh, it wasn't great. I'm feeling kind of worn. I feel kind of fatigued. Maybe we don't use the same language of, 
um, of my soul faints with longing. But at the same time, we know that feeling, we know that sense, that expression of, where are you today? How's it going? You're like, ugh, I'm worn. And that first, that first passage, that first sight of the card, I feel the psalmist sharing those things. Those first lines, my soul faints, my eyes fail. I'm like a wineskin in the smoke. How long? Going through the struggle, going through the frustration, going through things not as they're supposed to be or as I want them to be. Now, I, for those of you who pay attention to the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 7. And a 7, there's this piece of a 7 that can, they, is part of a harmony group. And what they say about this is that a 7 is an idealist. That means that I know how things should be. And because I know how things should be, it's very frustrating when things aren't as they should be. To the point where I even wrestle with the Lord and say, like, how long, oh Lord? I got it figured out. Like, catch up. Come on. I got, you know, like, here's the plan. This is the ideal. You're not doing things like you're supposed to be doing. Would you just come along with me and my plan? Dallas Willard has some great observations here. He says this. He says, I like to point out that when the Israelites came into the promised land, the first city they took on, the walls fell down. Do you remember how many more cities the walls fell down? None. It's the development of human beings in godliness that this life is about. In other words... The time of our lives, the times in our lives where we spend in the crucible, in the place of the highest heat, like the Damascus steel, like the swords I mentioned, this is where you have to hold, you have to fight it out. You have to hold on tight. You have to hold on for dear life, where your soul is faint, where your eyes fail. This will actually contribute to your transformation. That God didn't just take these things away. He actually might have allowed them. If I ask you if you've been saved by Jesus, like I did, you raised your hand, you said, yeah, I've been saved by Jesus. Are you still in the struggle? Yeah, I'm still in the struggle. Because God's love rescues us, and God's love also gives us hope in the waiting. Both things can be true at the same time. Now, why does it seem like we struggle as much as our neighbor? Or maybe many of you could look at your neighbors and say, why do I struggle more than my neighbor? There's times when I think even too, like, I'm one of the lords. I belong to God. That makes me kind of an insider, right? Like, I have him on speed dial. I can ask things of him. I can come to him in prayer. And why does my life sometimes seem like it's a little more difficult than those around me? How come he hasn't caught up to my plan? But if you look at the psalmist, he has, it, he has this going. This non, he has these non-believing neighbors as well, these people around him. But he also has this thing that his neighbors don't have. And that is hope. That is wisdom, like somebody mentioned. That is, that is a pointing to God's faithfulness of God coming through in his past. Woven through him, like the structure of that steel, is this story. I've had experiences that were hard. 
and God came through. He points to God's word, your precepts, your law, these things I hold on to amidst the trials. Things are not like I want them to be right now, but I hold on to this firm foundation because I know that God's love rescues, even if I'm in a space right now where I don't feel rescued. The picture of a wineskin in the smoke. I like to think that where there's smoke, there's fire. Here you are in a space where I cannot see what is going on around me because of the smoke. Maybe I choke from the scent of the smoke, from making a space that's a little harder to breathe. But within that, he has this image of a wineskin, this image of the good things inside of him that he holds on to. Then the smoke of thinking, man, I'm going to crack. And yet, even in that space of where there's trial and where there's trouble and where there's struggle, I know what's within me and I'm holding on to it. During World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned in a concentration camp. And eyewitnesses who were also in that camp would say of him, he would walk out of his bunk, bunkhouse, as if he was walking out of his front door, like it was a Sunday morning coming out with this attitude or this, this mindset that seemed ineffected, unaffected by all the difficulty and the trial and the struggle that was going on around him. Now I look back at Bonhoeffer and I see a person who is deeply immersed in God's word, someone who was holding on tightly. Perhaps he had those truths within him that were strong enough that would outweigh his circumstances of things that were around him. Perhaps Bonhoeffer had John 16 in his heart while he spent his time in prison. John 16, 20 says this. It won't be on the slide, so please just listen. It says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you what you ask in my name. Now, I think Jesus makes a bold move here. I don't like to make comparisons to what women go through in childbirth. It gets me in trouble. I once said that about a ser- but sermon delivery. Sometimes I, you don't deliver a sermon, you birth a sermon. And what happens is the women around you look at you like, what do you know? <laughs> what do you know about childbirth? Well, I know that this head that I have was the same size when I was born. I'm just kind of growing into it now. And that my mom passed out during the birth. So I know that much about childbirth, and it's not much. But let me bring you back to another passage in John 16 that says, I've told you these things so that in time, or so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In light of Good Friday, oftentimes we feel like life is a little bit like Good Friday. 
We live in the heart and the struggle and the God, where are you? Perhaps like even the men who walked on the road to Emmaus who said, don't you know what happened? Don't you know what we're going through? Don't you know the struggle? But the appearance of Jesus, this things that we hold on to, this holding on to this hope is that this isn't all there is. That this isn't the ending. The ending changes everything. Perhaps when Bonhoeffer walked out of his room, his bunkhouse, and all the trials and struggles that would go on within a camp, he walked out with the knowledge of knowing this isn't how it ends. I know the ending, guys. I already know where this goes. I already know what the struggle, like this is struggle. This is what we see all around you. This is smoke. But there's a time when the smoke isn't there anymore. And I know how this finishes. Viktor Frankl, also a survivor of the same time, the same camps, he observed that in this adverse world that they were living in, in the struggle and the strain and the hardship of the camps, he was a psychotherapist and he would pay a lot of attention just to what was going on in people. And he would notice, he said, when people had something to live for, they lived. When they lost that desire, when they lost that meaning, when they lost that that hope that of the ending, they lost the will. When they lost the will, they didn't last. But it was that knowing the ending, knowing who they were going to come home to, knowing that on the other side of trial, there are good things that would actually change their rate of survival. Rich Viotis, he writes, in a world torn by rage and anxiety... One of the greatest gifts followers of Jesus are called to offer is simple, non-anxious presence. Not a presence removed from this reality, but a presence that refuses to be shaped by it. That sounds a little bit like Bonhoeffer, doesn't it? No matter what is going on around you, no matter what the struggles and strain, I know who my God is. I have stories of his testimony of coming through in my life. And I'm going to hold on to that, even in the midst of my trials. In other words, our, similar, our experiences might be similar or worse than our friends, than our neighbors, than the other people around us. The difference is, is that we have a living hope. We have a hope that God is not done. We have a hope that the same one who saved me will continue to save me. That the one who loved me enough to give his son still does, hasn't stopped, and will come through. The hope that even in John 16 that I read is that one day I will be with the Father. That Jesus actually says, you won't have to ask me, you can just ask him. He'll be there. That I put my hope in an otherworldly kingdom. That on the other side of my struggle, my life, my trials... There are good things. There is an ending, and I know what it is. And even through this season, we might even think that God might even love us enough to allow the intense heat to make sure that we don't stay the same, to make sure that we change. We'll be stronger and more beautiful for having been through the heat. Romans 5, 2 through 4 says, We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in the sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, 
perseverance, character, and character, hope. The psalmist's hope is in God, and it doesn't come without struggle, because God's love rescues, and it gives us hope in the waiting. Now, I don't know how often you get the opportunities to do this, but I think it's one of, there's some holy divine moments sometimes when you are in conversation with a friend, and you might be in that conversation with a friend who is in, that, in the heat, in the struggle, in the wrestle, in the trial, and it's difficult. And oftentimes their hope is thin, and it feels like the wineskin is cracking. And you have the opportunity to go to them, maybe to show them the metal, and to say, you see these lines? These are the lines of my struggle. They tell of my experience in the hard. They tell of my time in the heat where other people held me up. They tell of my strain and my trouble, and they also tell one other thing. They tell of the place and the time and the space where God came through for me. And even if you're in a place of the heat and the struggle, the crucible of that fire, that I can tell you a story from the other side of it, that says, I endured the hammering, I endured the fire, and I came out on the other side. And let me tell you, friend, hang on. He's not done. It doesn't end like that. So I'd like to invite the worship team up. And I'm going to pray for us. Father, you know our hearts and you know where we're at. I know there are people in this room who can feel the cracking. They can feel the heat. They can feel the hammering. Like the psalmist, they could journal in a way that says, my soul is faint. It's hard to see. It's hard to breathe. And I'm cracking. But Lord, you are our living hope. And because your story doesn't end on Good Friday, it ends with resurrection and promise that you have defeated death and you have our best in mind. Lord, we live for you. Remind us, Lord, of our hope. Remind us of the ending. In your name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.